And this morning's text begins in your pew Bible on page 25. On page 25, that's Genesis chapter 26, verse 6 to 16. And the Lord is honored that we stand while reading his precious word. So Isaac settled in Gerah. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, for he feared to say, my wife thinking, lest the men of, this, of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say, She is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought less I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this do you have done to us? One of the people might easily have laid with your wife, and you have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this, man's, this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. This is God's precious word. You may be seated. Let us bow for a moment of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, our God, our Father, creator of all that is or ever will be, we see in this reading the deceitfulness of Isaac's heart and of Rebekah. But even in spite of that, we see your grace, your magnificent grace upon his sinful and her sinful life. Grace, grace that is greater than any of our sin. Oh God, we are no better and many even worse than Isaac or Rebecca. I look at my own journey with you, God. You have awakened me from the sleep of sin and death and darkness and eternal damnation. And you have pierced that darkness with your heavenly light through Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And it has been a slow dawning in my spirit and soul of all, of all that I have in you, Lord Jesus. And I am not alone. I know this journey is taking place with millions of my brothers and sisters this journey in which I have doubted 
in which I have fallen, in which you have carried me, even in my sinful ways, born again in your kingdom, your child, the Lord of glory, maker of heaven and earth, the one who is light, the one who is love, the one who is wisdom. I had no idea, even in my infancy, and yet still in my infant years now, decades later, I am marveled at your love and grace. You've picked me up thousands of times through all these almost 50 years, having known you, Lord. It is almost beyond words. Without measure, we sang this morning of your grace, O God. It is amazing. It is beyond all that we could ever think, say, or do. And we, you hold us in your hands. We are not hanging on with white knuckles, but we are in your hands wherever you are today. Oh, wherever we are today, brothers and sisters in Christ, he holds us in his hands, and no one can ever snatch us out of his hand. Father, we just thank you for the reality of who you are. And because of that, we have that freedom to walk out of those cells of doubt, walk out of the cells of sin, envy, gossip, lying, deceitfulness, lust, whatever, O oh God. There is no fear when we are in Christ. There is only the glory to come. And though this outward body grows older, and though we, the years make us realize we are coming to the end of this life, we fear not death because it is just a shadow that we pass through, and it is our birthday into your glorious presence. Let us cheer, Lord, each day, for we know we grow closer and closer to see you face to face. And now, Lord, I pray for your church here at Metropolitan, throughout this city and land. Oh, God, may we be a people of prayer that you would open our eyes to see the length, the breadth, the depth, the height, everything of the rich inheritance that we have in you, Lord Jesus. And, Father, as Pastor Chris comes, May our hearts be open and fertile ground for the fruit, your fruit, that you are placing in our lives. May we open our eyes to see the opportunities and the talents that you put within our lives that we may serve you for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Reminder that uh, following the service this morning, we're doing an active shooter drill. I will be giving directions on how we're going to do that at the end of the service. Um, but when this service is over, please remain uh, in the room until we go through that drill. And it is only a drill. Um, but 
We come to our text and we are reminded in this passage that Moses was a magnificent writer. We've been working our way through the book of Genesis and we have seen just how beautifully structured each passage is as it interacts and interrelates with all the others. And everything that Moses wrote on the pages of Genesis had a specific purpose for the audience to whom he was writing, which was the Israelites in the midst of the wilderness. Under the direction of the Holy Spirit, however, it also contained information useful, as 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us, that is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The Creator God didn't waste any ink as Moses wrote. So when we come to this story of Isaac, it is amazing to see how snugly his life overlaps with Abraham's life. His father Abraham modeled for his son Isaac how to live by faith. What we find in these chapters regarding Isaac is, is it really a lack of originality. It's like father, like son. Whether it was in the right or whether it was in the wrong, he still followed the model his father set. And that is very intentional in this book. From Isaac, Isaac, to model for believers, for you and for me, how we also must follow and live by the faith of Abraham. But only one son has truly imitated his father perfectly, and that's Jesus Christ. You see, the Gospels are filled with statements about Jesus Christ, statements that say that he came to do the will of his Father, or that everything that he said or anything that he he did was what his Father had said or his Father had done. Isaac is a type, but Jesus is the reality. Isaac is the shadow. Jesus is the perfection. In this, you and I, who are disciples of Jesus Christ, are told that we too must imitate our Father who is in heaven. So that we can say, with the Lord Jesus, I have come to do your will, O God. Let's say that together. I have come to do your will, O God. That should be our daily prayer. Christian parents, you need to recognize that you are modeling for your children how they ought to live, just as Abraham did for Isaac. And so we need to to look at the life of Isaac and see just how much influence parents have over the lives of their children, whether it is for good or whether it is for evil. 
You know, our contemporary culture has followed the Montessori school mentality of training up children. The Montessori situation, the children are allowed to become whatever flower that they want to be. Whatever it is that they want to do, they are allowed to do with little or no direction from parents or teachers. But that's foolishness. Young people have not yet developed an understanding of right and wrong. They don't understand discipline and steadfastness in their lives. And if we listen to our culture, they don't even know whether they're male or female. God has given Christian parents the responsibility of living out a life that imitates the Father in heaven so that their children might learn to imitate them. Therefore, what we see in this Abraham-Isaac saga that we're looking at, as our theme says, those who truly seek the glory of God desire to imitate their godly parents who have learned to live by faith. Our model in this church is that we are to passionately pursue the glory of God. But if we are passionately pursuing the glory of God, then we will imitate our Heavenly Father as parents in such a way that our children will desire to imitate us as we imitate Him. As we learn to live by faith, they learn to live by faith. So from Genesis 1, when God created Man, male and female, he created them. God has worked amongst the human race by the means of a covenant. The initial covenant that came down was given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And then it was reaffirmed from generation to generation until it came down here to our story with Isaac. And now here in this text, I want you to notice, God's pledge produces confirmation of His covenant. God's pledge gives to us confirmation that His covenant will be fulfilled. In every instance, from the original ancestors in the Garden of Eden, through Seth, then Noah, and then Shem, and Abraham, and now we've come to Isaac, the eternal God has reconfirmed his covenant given to the human race while expanding our understanding of it with each covenant renewal that we have watched as we've gone through this book. And he does it again here in verse 3. He says, I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will reconfirm with you, Isaac, what I already said to your father Abraham. And if we go back, we can say, and what he had said to Noah, and what he had said to Seth, and what he had said to 
to Adam and Eve. God's covenant with Isaac was not something new. It is an explanation of how to expand that covenant and what that means. But this covenant is not new. But neither is this covenant a contract. It is an eternal covenant backed by divine oath of God himself. The writer of Hebrews grasps this truth in in Hebrews 6, where he writes, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his nature, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. I want you to see in this passage that we just read how the writer of Hebrews connects together our relationship with God through the new covenant and the blood of Jesus Christ with the very same covenant that was given to Abraham and to Isaac. In other words, you and I, we are the children of the promise that God gave to Abraham and to the patriarchs. So how should that change our focus in our own lives? Well, notice that God has established a pattern of faith. A pattern of faith. In the chapters that are dealing with Isaac, from chapter 25 to chapter 35 of the book of of Genesis, we often hear words that are similar to what we read in verse 1 and what Peter read in verse 6 and following. And that is, now there was a famine in the land beside the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. Do you see this connection between Isaac and Abraham? There was a famine in the time of Isaac, or Abraham. There's a famine in the time of Isaac. In those verses that we just, uh, Peter just read, Abraham goes into Abimelech's territory. And he, he says, my wife is my sister. Isaac goes into those territories and models his father, does what his father did, imitates his father in that situation. And all the way through these chapters, as we look at the life of Isaac, we will see the life of Abraham lived out in his son, Isaac. So the life of Isaac frequently tied to the life of Abraham. Abraham becomes the pattern and Isaac the follower. So what's that say to us again as parents? The practical teaching from this passage reminds us that our children will imitate us. Just ask most parents who at some point as they were growing up said about their parents, I will never do that. I will never say that to my kids. And then somewhere along the line, What happens? They find themselves doing and saying the things that their parents said. As a matter of fact, it is so common that we now have a TV commercial that focuses on that very thing. Geico can't stop you from becoming your parents, but it can save you 15% on on your car insurance or something like that. Right? We know 
that that is how it works in life. Parents become models for their children. And their children, many times without even understanding what they are doing, will imitate their parents. And in these coming weeks, we're going to see Abraham's faith carried out in the actions of Isaac. His sins, yes, as we saw here, but also his faith. What is more important is to recognize that these patterns of faith remind us how to live by faith in our Heavenly Father, to imitate Him. You see, the beauty of the pattern that is set here with Abraham and Isaac is carried out in its perfection in the life of the Son of God who came into the flesh. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the one and only of the Father. To see in Christ who God is. Jesus Christ never deviated from the perfection of God, His Father, to the glory of God. But notice also that God has established a personal faith. There's a pattern of faith here, but there is also the necessity of a personal faith. Isaac doesn't have a coattail religion. He is not a believer because his father was a believer. Isaac has a personal relationship with the God of his father, Abraham. He has recognized the truth of what Abraham's God is and has done, and therefore he has grabbed a hold of that as his own. Check out verses 4 and 5 of our text. It says, And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, if that's all we had, we'd be in danger of hearing a child is saved because of the parent. A child is a a, a Christian because of their parents. At first it sounds like Isaac is going to be blessed in this covenant because of what his father Abraham did. And there are many in the church pews all across America today who come to church and claim to believe in Jesus Christ because their parents did. But somewhere between the ages of 16 and 25, a large percentage of them will drop out of church. And the reason that they'll drop out of church is because their faith was never their own. It was their parents. But let's look at verse 24. Because there God causes Isaac to understand that he was not just the God of Abraham, but he is also the God of Isaac. It says, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you. And will bless you and will multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Christian parents, we must model our faith for our children in such a way that they see the reality of it in our lives and desire that reality in their lives. Never think that your child is a believer simply because they come to church. Be sure that they know that they cannot make it to heaven being tied to their mother's apron strings. 
This idea of a covenant and the beauty of this covenant between God and humanity is a powerful concept. And because of the covenant, notice God's prospering produces conflict in his covenant. Oh, we want the covenant to be beautiful. We don't want any trouble. We want, we, we want God to make our faith so wonderful that we are blessed financially and we are blessed with health and we are blessed with friends and neighbors and everybody's going to love us. And they should. But we're wonderful people, aren't we? Shouldn't everybody like us as Christians? But let me tell you, a covenant is not a contract. Contracts can be negotiated. I was with Nancy Chan and a couple of weeks ago as she was buying a car. And as we went in to the dealer and found the car that she wanted, we sat down and, and we signed a contract that we negotiated, that we worked at. They gave, we gave, until it was all settled. That's a contract. But that's not a covenant. A covenant is a one-sided agreement. A covenant is God writing up something and you're agreeing to it or you're questioning it, but you certainly cannot negotiate it. You do not negotiate with God. And yet I often hear people saying, when somebody says something from the Bible, well, my God wouldn't do that. Well, that's not the way my God is. Well, then I don't know what God you have. Because God doesn't negotiate. God is God. And if we find it written in the Word of God, in the Scriptures, if the Bible says that God has said or God has done something, then, honey, you had better accept it. Whether you like it or not, that is who God is. And when you get to the point where you accept that as true, you are going to run into trouble. There's going to be the trouble of struggling to surrender your own desires and your own life up to him, to surrender your beliefs to him. But because you serve him, and you begin to live your life in accordance with the truths of his word, people are going to hate you, despise you, or, in the case of Isaac, be envious of you. Abraham and Isaac experienced that. We get a little glimpse of that in verses 15 and 16. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Didn't Jesus say, If they've done this to the master, what are they going to do to his servants? We see it here in this. So let me encourage you by letting you know that God has encouraged a practical faith. Since you're going to face trouble... How are you going to handle it? How are you going to live out the gospel in the midst 
of a nation and people who aren't going to want to hear that gospel. What should be your reaction to it? Well, follow the pattern established by your heavenly Father and by our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't retaliate. Look at Isaac. Isaac faced a famine, which is what caused him to go down to Gerar. So he faces this famine, but he faces it in a very practical way. First, he trusted God's direction when God told him, don't go to Egypt. That's one way that he didn't follow his father, because when Abraham faced the famine, he went to Egypt. Isaac is on his way to Egypt, and God stops him, and he stops in what later on becomes Philistia, with the Philistines. So he goes to where he can find some food, but second, he didn't moan about how tough he had it. So often, when we face difficult times, it's like, it's not fair, why do I have to do this? Why do they treat me the way that they're treating me? But he doesn't do that. Look at verse 12. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. That is very interesting. Remember, they're in the midst of famine, right? So what does he do about it? Does he sit there and moan about, oh man, famine, what are we supposed to do? No. He goes out and he plants seed and he waters that seed and he gets a hundredfold from that seed. I get tired of hearing in the media about the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. My dad worked three jobs to keep food on our table. Today, a lot of those people that are moaning and groaning won't even take one job because it's below their pay scale. Another thing that happens in our jobs, but everyone is against me. Not only is life against me, but everyone is against me. Tell me, my friends, how often have you faced what Isaac faced here in this text, in this 26th chapter? Verse 18, it says, Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. The wells were there. They filled them up. Now, why would they do that? I mean, aren't wells important? Isn't water important? Why would you go around stuffing dirt back into those wells that had been dug? Well, the answer for that is they filled those wells up after Abraham died, because of Isaac being in the land. But why did they do it after Abraham died? Because Abraham had a reputation of being a tough guy. Remember Abraham and his 318 guys that went off and defeated four kings? You don't want to mess with this guy. But Isaac, he's a whole different scenario. So they plugged the wells because they didn't want Isaac in their land. And they thought that that would discourage him. The world around you will do the things that they think will discourage you and cause you to either stop talking about Jesus or to get out of their lives. They see God's blessing on you and they become envious, as our text says. 
They're going to lie about you. They're going to curse you. They're going to try to break you. My friends, just dig out those wells again. Don't fight them. Jesus set an example, Peter tells us in, in um, his writing, that when Jesus was abused, when Jesus suffered, he opened not his mouth. He let God shine through rather than trying to protect himself. So notice that God has encouraged a patient faith along with this practical faith. You see, some Christians get discouraged because they think God should be acting right away. Uh, that's the story of the book of Job. You know, as time went on with Job, Job gets harsher and harsher in his criticisms because he thought that God should have taken care of this issue a long time before. Poor Isaac. This poor guy, he comes down because there's a famine. He comes into the place where his father had been and dug wells. But these guys are gone. They filled in those wells. He digs up those, uh, those wells. He, he, he you know, restores the wells. And what happens? They argue over them. They try to, to, to fill them up again. But Isaac dug the wells. Did you notice the Philistines didn't go around digging their own wells? Uh, the water was there. They were just too lazy. They wanted somebody else to earn it and then them take it. The Philistines could have, but they were too busy or too lazy. And yet they were willing to bully Isaac to get those wells. Look at verses 21 and 22. It says, Then they dug another well. That is, Isaac's guys, dug another well, and they quarreled over that well, that is, the Philistines quarreled with Isaac's people over the well and claimed it for their own, so he called its name Sitna. He moved on from there, and he dug another well. But they didn't quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth. Now this, I've only read a part of it, but prior to that, they had dug another well, and they had unstopped those other wells, and the Philistines had kept you know, pushing at them, pushing at them, pushing at them, and driving them away from it. Now, rather than bring vengeance on them, which he had the ability to do, because he had inherited everything from his father. He had inherited the wealth, but he'd also inherited those 318 armed, you know, soldier servants, and much more than that as well. But instead, he continued to seek peace. Paul writes, do good to all people, especially the household of faith. He digs a well. They want that well. They want him to move on. Rather than claiming it for his own, he says, oh, well, then be blessed. Have a well. Where would we be if Jesus had lost patience with us? and it struck out against those who opposed him. As Massimo said in Sunday school this morning, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set himself free. But he chose not to do that. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Where would we be 
if Jesus had not been patient with us. But there is a third major point to learn from this passage. Notice that God's promise produces the character of his covenant. See, when we go through those things, God establishes and reconfirms the covenant with us. There's conflict. And at times we want to quit in the midst of that. But it is as we continue on in faith that the character of God is worked into our lives. Do you remember how powerful Abraham was? We've just talked about it. The 318, the the destruction of those uh, four mighty kings that he had accomplished. But do you also remember, as we read through, that in spite of the fact that Abraham could have then taken the spoils because he had the powerful army, he could have overrun the Middle East and controlled it all, that not once did he use that power and that authority for his own sake. Isaac inherited all of that from his father, the wealth, the army, but he chose never to use it for his own personal gain. The world around us is going to recognize God in us when they see God working through us. Not when we try to get things by our own hands, as we saw Jacob did in the last chapter. If we seek to do it after our own power and our own ability, we fail to showcase God's glory. We fail to showcase that God is our protector and God is our provider. Let God be God. And because Isaac did that, look at how it was rewarded in verse 22. It says, And he moved from there and dug another well. They didn't quarrel over it, so he called his name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for me, for us. And we shall be fruitful in the land. It is the Lord who made room for us. Could he have done it himself? Yes. He had the strength. He had the power to do it. He could have taken every one of those wells. And later on, Abimelech, the, the, uh, the, the king, is going to say to him, you are more powerful than us. But he doesn't. He doesn't use his power for himself. And in doing so, God is glorified. God is seen in his character, in his life. The Lord made room for us. Not I made room for us. So notice that God has elicited a profound faith. I need to speed up here. A profound faith. When we fight our battles, we struggle in the flesh. We miss opportunities to testify to God's glory as Isaac did in verse 25. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. You see, for Isaac, faith 
was absolute trust in the promises that God had made to his father Abraham and then confirmed to him that were backed up by God's own oath, God's own name. Your faith might be personal, but I doubt that it's very profound if you do not share that faith with others. If you can't give a testimony of what God is doing in your life, as Tony did a few minutes ago, Tony Monero shared with us how God worked in him, then you need to dig your wells deeper. But notice also that God has elicited a pleasant faith, for the truth of your faith is going to be seen when the Lord prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Abimelech, Ahuzath, Philcol, they were forced to acknowledge the power of Isaac's God. Isaac, rather than use God's blessing to get back at his enemies, provided for them, and we see it in verse 30, so he made them a feast, and they ate and they drank. In this, the Bible says, it is called heaping coals of fire on your enemies' heads. Letting God be seen, providing for them the blessings where curse is expected. Isaac experienced the power of Abraham's God for himself. He lived a powerful, profound faith that the world saw and acknowledged. And so I ask you in conclusion, does the relationship between the father and the son help awaken faith in your heart? Do you see God in Christ? Do you see in Abraham and Isaac that reflected and how it should change you? Has the covenant of God become your life foundation. It is founded on his covenant. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your grace towards us. And, and even now, as we think about how enemies might even come into the church at some point, I pray that you would guide us to be able to react in the community in such a way that reflects your glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.